Welcome to the NutraCast, a production by Nutra Ingredients USA. I'm Danielle Masterson. Thank you for joining me here on the NutraCast, where we talk and share insights from inside the nutrition industry. The process of prenatal development of the infant microbiome is significant, with timing playing a critical role in terms of correcting immunological and physiological development. Joining us now to discuss the microbiota establishment in infants is nutritional scientist Tracy Shafazada, the Director of Scientific Communications at Evolve Biosystems. Welcome to the NutriCast, Tracy. Thanks for having me. Tell me a little bit about the microbiome, how it's developed, and sort of what factors might play a role. Great question. So the interesting thing about the infant gut microbiome is that, honestly, it starts at the moment of birth. Babies are typically born with what we would consider a sterile gut microbiome, very few microorganisms, but as they pass through the birth canal and then are exposed to mom's gut microbes through a fecal oral transfer at the moment of birth, that's really when baby's gut microbiome gets started. So you can imagine that what mom has in her microbiome then is the beginning of what baby then will have in their microbiome as they start to develop uh, their own collection of microorganisms. The issue is that that requires mom to transfer her bacteria uh, to baby during vaginal delivery. So if a baby is born by C-section, you can imagine baby is not exposed to mom's gut microbes. And therefore a C-section delivered baby is going to acquire bacteria instead from the surrounding environment, from the skin of people who are holding that baby uh, right after delivery. And it's a very different collection of microorganisms that a C-section baby would have compared to a vaginally delivered baby. Is there any way to transfer those microbes from the mother to the baby if they are indeed born via C-section? There have been some attempts to find ways to recreate that natural transfer from mom to baby. These attempts have not panned out to be successful nor safe. In fact, ACOG has recommended not using techniques such as vaginal swabbing to try to transfer bacteria from mom to baby after baby is born. Instead, what we have found are the critical bacteria that infants need in their gut microbiome include a bacteria called Bifidobacterium infantis, so B. infantis. And B. infantis is very specific to the infant gut. It thrives in an environment in the infant gut in the combination with human breast milk. And that is something that can be fed to babies after baby is born, whether they're born vaginally or by C-section. Extensive research has been done on this feeding of a specific strain of B. infantis, EVC001, to infants after they are born in combination with human breast milk. And it's amazing that you can recreate the environment and the microbiome that baby would have if they naturally received this bacteria from mom during vaginal delivery. And since you mentioned breast milk, what about babies who are not breastfed, who perhaps are fed formula? Does that play a role? And can this be infantis still be incorporated into their diet via formula? Yeah, that's a really good question. So 
I'm going to back up just a little bit and say that naturally over many, many generations, historically, babies naturally received their good protective gut bacteria from their mom during vaginal delivery. And then in combination with human breast milk, their components of breast milk feed the bee infantis that is transferred from mom to baby, and it creates a protective environment in the infant gut. However, if you can imagine over the last few generations, there's been an increased amount of C-section delivery, antibiotic use, which eliminates that good protective bee infantis, even if mom vaginally delivers. So C-section delivery and antibiotic use seem to be the two important life-saving medical interventions that we have started using at an increased rate in industrialized countries such as the U.S., but they, the unintended consequence of using those two interventions is that they often will disrupt this natural transfer from mom to baby of good bacteria, including B. infantis. So being able to repopulate the infant gut with B. infantis, if indeed C-section delivery or antibiotic use is used, is something that's become very important in the research community. And we now have an accumulating body of evidence in the scientific literature showing that B. infantis, EVC001, and I specifically call out that strain because each different type of B. infantis that is found in different probiotic products acts very differently. B. infantis EVC001 has been shown to repopulate the infant gut with the dominant levels of B. infantis naturally found when mom passes that bacteria on to baby. And then it's able to suppress the growth of pathogens in baby's gut and reduce inflammation in the intestine of the baby during a period of immune development and rapid growth and development. So it's very important that this bacteria is there. Now, if a baby is breastfed, then B. infantis gets the food that it needs from human breast milk. Human breast milk contains complex carbohydrates that actually the baby can't digest at all, but the B. infantis in baby's gut, it digests completely and utilizes those carbohydrates in human milk to grow and thrive. Now, if a baby is formula fed, what's very interesting is for a long time, we thought that formula was not able to support the growth of B. infantis. However, we have new emerging data showing that B. infantis EVC001 also has the enzymatic capacity to digest some of the carbohydrates and nutrients in formula. So now that we have amassed a body of evidence around feeding B. infantis EVC001 to infants, we now can show that both breastfed babies and formula babies benefit from this infant-specific probiotic. Interesting. Can you give me sort of the timeline behind this? How quickly can babies start taking the specific strain of B. infantis, and how long does it take before it's effective? So in our clinical trials, when we used Evivo or B. infantis EVC001 to feed to infants, we started at day seven of life, and we were able to show within a day or less a high colonization of B. infantis in the infant gut. Now, Avivo has been fed to babies more than 3 million times now. There's been 3 million servings of Avivo fed to babies across the U.S. And what we're seeing is 
babies can start taking this strain of B. infantis as soon as they start consuming human milk or formula. So as soon as baby starts consuming food, that's the appropriate time to start making sure that B. infantis is there in the infant gut to digest the nutrients that are in breast milk or formula and create that protective environment in the human gut. So basically as soon as they're born. As soon as they're born. We encourage mom to establish nursing and feeding that baby in those first couple of days, just to make sure that feeding is established and they know what they're doing. Mom and baby, they're getting to know each other. But as soon as baby starts eating, then B infantis is appropriate. So Evivo can be given starting the first 24 hours of life. I know we touched a little bit on the importance of getting these microbes to the baby, but what are some short-term and long-term health impacts when it comes to the gut microbiome of infants? Babies born by C-section from a microbiome perspective look very different than babies born vaginally. And what now is becoming apparent is that early colonization of the infant gut really does dictate the trajectory that a baby will be on as they grow and develop into adulthood. And certain health outcomes are associated with the early colonization of the infant gut microbiome. And what it seems to be the case is that when pathogenic bacteria or what we would consider bad bacteria are present in high numbers early in an infant's life, It's associated with things like colic, eczema, diaper rash, even food allergies, obesity, and and finally type 1 diabetes later in life. However, we are finding though, if babies are colonized early with B. infantis or a type of bifidobacterium such as B. infantis, that often they have a lower risk of developing some of these allergic and autoimmune disorders later in life. Now, the real question is, If you intervene, if you give a baby a probiotic containing B. infantis to ensure that B. infantis is there early in life, can you offset or reduce the risk of these symptoms or disorders later in life? That's where the research is right now. That is what we are doing at Evolve Biosystems is systematically looking at feeding babies B. infantis EVC001 and looking at the impact on risk and outcome of certain conditions such as eczema, allergies, type 1 diabetes, even severe acute malnutrition in third world countries or developing countries uh, where babies are at higher risk of a severe acute malnutrition. I feel like right now, gut microbiota is such a hot topic and it's really piqued the interest of so many people just beyond the industry, but mainstream as well. But at this point, I think it's safe to say there's more questions than answers when it comes to gut microbiota. I would say that's probably true because of the way we think about probiotics. So when we say the word probiotics, it's such a generic term. It gives us no information about what bacteria we're talking about, nor does it give us any information about what strain of probiotic we're talking about. It's as general as saying food or medicine. And we would never say food is good for you or medicine is good for you or bad for you. We would say specific foods eaten in specific amounts are either good or bad or associated with health or disease. Same with medication. We would never say take some medicine. It doesn't matter which one, they're all good. 
So that is my plea to the microbiome and probiotic research world is we have to get better at being specific about what we are talking about and what we're looking at when we look at the data of this generic term probiotic. So I think that's what lends itself to the confusing data out there on whether probiotics are helpful, whether they're a waste of time and money, whether they're benign, or whether they can actually confer health benefits to the host. So what I would like the research community to do, and then the clinical community uh, after that is, let's be very, very specific about what bacteria, what strain of bacteria, how much we're giving, and in what population. So a perfect example of that is in infants, we need an infant-specific bacteria. Bifidobacterium infantis is adapted to the infant gut. So let's look at data on the exact strain of B. infantis in an infant versus taking data from adults and trying to apply that to an infant population. That's a really good point to make because like you mentioned, probiotic formulations vary. They're not created equally. And specifically when we talk about these strains, I mean, there's so many out there and for the everyday person, that can be pretty confusing. Absolutely. Especially since the labeling of probiotic products is not uniform across different products. Some labels have multiple strains of bacteria in them, but they don't give you the exact CFU count or colony forming unit count per strain of bacteria. They give you a total blend amount of what's inside. And that's irresponsible to the person trying to make the decision of what they're actually giving either a patient or their baby. We need to have very clear, transparent labeling with specifics about the strain and the amount that's in any product. And I do believe we have the opportunity as a community to raise the standards and the level of transparency and quality of different probiotic products to have the best outcome for those taking them. Right. And lately, there has been a surge of misinformation regarding the role of probiotics, especially like you mentioned, when it comes to infant gut health. What would you like to clear up about that? So there have been a couple of papers that came out in the scientific literature over the last year or so that really planted a seed of doubt in our minds about whether probiotics were useful, not useful, or even detrimental to people's health. And I think that that is just adding to the confusion because of the generic way that we're thinking about probiotics. I think the one thing I'd like to clear up is when I think about choosing a probiotic product for a particular individual or population of individuals, I think there are three main pieces to the puzzle or three main legs to the stool that you really have to consider when making that choice. And the first is the right strain of bacteria. So again, make sure that the strain of bacteria that you are choosing has well-documented mechanism of action, how it works in the gut and what population and what food source that bacteria needs. So for instance, if you put a bacteria, a probiotic bacteria in the gut of an infant, but that bacteria was really, really good at digesting plant fibers, but the baby is consuming human milk, it's not going to be beneficial, nor is it going to colonize the intestine. So you have to think about the strain of bacteria, the food that that bacteria needs, in this case, B. infantis, which does really, really well on human milk and infant formula, and then the right 
time during development. So babies are undergoing a rapid period of immune and metabolic development in the first 100 days of life. It's an incredible window of opportunity to create a protective environment in the infant gut or allow pathogenic bacteria to thrive, which can offset that important programming of the immune system and metabolism early in life. So let's think about the windows of opportunity of putting the right bacteria with the right food source in the right population during the appropriate time of development. And that's when we can really, really see the benefits that probiotics can bring. Yeah, there are so many different factors to take into consideration. I was reading a study out of Baylor that identified three different phases in the microbial gut colonization in infants. There's a developmental phase that's three to 14 months. There's a transitional phase, which is 15 to 30 months, and then a stable phase of 31 months and onward. So you have to really take into consideration the age, the diet, so many different things there. So do you see probiotics moving in a more personalized way in order for it to be as efficacious as it should be? Yeah, I like how you stated that. I think targeted and personalized approaches to whether it be nutrition or drug development, or in this case, probiotics, I think is the right way to go. We can apply this kind of rule of three to any age group to better understand the appropriate approach to probiotic use in that age group. So thinking about the right bacteria that can consume the food that's being provided. So think about the difference from an infant that has a single food source, human milk, presumably. Then they migrate into more of a mixed diet, but there's still some human milk there and a few solid foods. But then they go on to toddlerhood where they're really just eating almost an adult diet. The different types of foods in those three phases of life are going to support the growth of very different bacteria. So if we really do use that rule of three, the right bacteria strain, the right food for that bacteria at the right time, I do believe we can get to a place where probiotics can be much, much more effective. And I think the reason that we are so focused on the infant gut microbiome is because we do know that there's this short critical window of immune and metabolic development that's happening in the first 100 days of life where the gut microbiome plays a very distinct and very important role. And if we can get that right, then that baby is going to be on a very different trajectory than if we just let pathogenic bacteria thrive and cause inflammation in the gut and offset or interrupt the appropriate programming of the immune system and the metabolism as they develop from there. How safe are they? Have there been any adverse events as a result of probiotics that you know of? Yeah, that's an important question. I I would say that anything you put in your body, you need to be confident that you are putting something that has been shown to be safe in, in clinical studies, but also just in general. Now, many probiotics are what is called generally recognized as safe or grass designated. And I think a bigger concern is not safety. From a probiotics perspective, safety is not the the biggest concern in terms of what we're worried about. What I would say is efficacy is probably the biggest concern we have because right now, most studies, and there's been very, very few that show that there's safety concerns, 
most studies show very, very little, if any, efficacy of taking a probiotic. And so really what you want to do is think, how can we get a bacteria to get from consuming it orally all the way down to the large intestine and to colonize? So not just go in and then come out. So basically you have to just keep taking a probiotic so that it keeps balance what goes in and what goes out. What you want to do is have it take up what we would consider residency, colonize the intestine and actually start metabolizing its own food and creating a protective environment, both biochemically, but also suppressing the levels of pathogens there. That's the bigger challenge. And that really is what I think the world of probiotics is going to have to solve. We believe we've solved it for the infant population, but for the rest of the lifespan, there's a lot more work to be done of how to get probiotics to be actually effective. So much work to be done. Uh, And speaking of that, what are you working on right now? Any projects or research that you can tell us about? Yes. So Evolve Biosystems, first and foremost, is a research organization. We have a very strong research and development team. We are continually doing both basic research in the lab, but also clinical research with collaborators across the globe. So we have two studies right now that are ongoing using B. infantis EVC001 fed to infants to look at the ability to prevent atopic dermatitis, which is another way of saying eczema. And also we're working with the Gates Foundation uh, to look at the use of B. infantis EVC001 or Avivo to prevent severe acute malnutrition in infants in the developing world. We have many more clinical studies that are about to launch, looking again at the ability to drive proper immune development and offset risk of developing many different autoimmune, autoinflammatory, and allergic disorders later in life. Got a lot of stuff in the works, so you'll certainly have to keep us updated. Yes, absolutely. Tracy Shafazada, Director of Scientific Communications at Evolve Biosystems, thank you so much for joining me here on the NutriCast. Thanks so much for having me. If you like what you just heard, you can subscribe to the NutriCast on iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher. You can also head to NutraIngredients-USA.com for even more Nutra-related content. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm Danielle Masterson. As always, I'll catch you here on the NutriCast next week.